What's up, everybody? Nate Lurie here with more of We're the Inspiration. With some dark humor and brutal honesty, we're exploring the absurdity and normalcy of living with disabilities and bringing you the most entertaining podcast about disabilities you're ever going to hear. My guest at this time, a good friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, Stanley Martin Jr. What's going on, man? Not much. How are you, Nate? I'm it's good to get to hear from you. <laughs> we haven't seen each other in a long time. I remember the last time we did was at like a Falcons alumni game. When I say Falcons, because I've said it before on the podcast, I mean Fairfax Falcons wheelchair sports team. And a lot of that is basketball. And we had an alumni basketball game. I don't remember how many years ago, but you were one of the first people I saw that day. And I hadn't seen you in years. And I just remember we didn't say anything. And we just hugged each other as tightly as we could. It's always good to see a good friend. I've known you since I started with the Falcons. Back then was Metro Maulers. I think when I was five, five or six. We got to talk about the Metro Maulers a little bit because that was the original name of the team. And when we have the first ever head coach of that team on the podcast, because he's actually asked to be on it a couple times, <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk a lot about that. But for now, I want to start with a segment that I like to call I Can't Stand This. Sticking with the disability motif, it basically refers back to things I've already talked about. So a couple times I've talked about this movie on Hulu called Run which is a movie featuring a girl in a wheelchair who's really played by a girl in a wheelchair. Now, I'm not talking about this today, because yesterday is when I found out about this other movie with a girl in a wheelchair. It's on Lifetime, and a lot of people on my Facebook feed have been talking about it. It's called Christmas Ever After, and it stars this woman, Ali Stroker, who I'd never heard of, a lot of people have heard of her, and I found out that's because she was on Glee, which I never saw. I had heard of her. I knew that she had won a Tony, a Tony right. Award. She was the first ever disabled person to win a Tony, having any award, a Grammy, Emmy, Oscar, and that EGOT category can get you into so many places. So, Oh, she is legit, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I run Lifetime. It wouldn't be long for me to see her on like a mainstream media, like a Fox or NBC. Well, you saw her in Glee, but I mean, like, maybe she has her own show at some point. She may already be the most famous actress in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. She, no, and, no, I know. Yeah. I mean, more power to her. But I don't know if you actually watched this movie. I did today. I have not. No, I, I'm not really a lifetime Hallmark person. That's exactly what every guy on my Facebook feed said. I'm not a lifetime movie guy. But I may give this a shot. So I gave it a shot today just to be able to talk about it. It's interesting in that he, she even admits the part was not necessarily for someone in a wheelchair. She just happened to get the role. And they must have changed it a little bit because I remember part of the dialogue, one line was, I'm going to go for a push. Now, you understand what she means by that because we're both wheelchair users. Right. However, I have never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> I haven't either. I normally will just say if I'm going, I'm going for a walk and mostly people will know what I'm talking about. I don't really, I'm not a really politically correct person, although some people will try to be politically correct. If I say I'm going for a walk, you know what I'm saying. I think before I've said like I'm going for a walk and depending on the person I'm with, they give me grief for it. There are certain things that people in wheelchairs say that people who are not in wheelchairs don't necessarily understand very well. An example I gave already on the show 
was when I refer to my footrest as a foot plate because it's one piece. Right. So I call it a plate, right? That's just what wheelchair makers say and what a lot of us say. But you call it a foot plate in front of somebody that's not in a wheelchair. They don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know there are probably a lot of terms that people who aren't in wheelchairs, they just won't understand. I wish I could think of some right now. But yeah, foot plate, foot rest. Any words are just interchangeable, and we know what we're talking about. They may not know, and we have to explain it to them. This movie, it was on my Facebook feed. That's how I heard about it. On your Facebook feed, every once in a while, you talk a lot about sports, but we'll get to that later. But every once in a while, you talk about something disability-related. Recently, you had a list of the most accessible cities. I like to travel. I went to Australia, to Sydney for a week, and then I went to Melbourne. Okay. I went to go to the Australian Open. I've read that Australia, Sydney in particular, their accessibility laws pretty much mirror ours. So for my first international trip, technically my second, because I went to Canada, but... I've been uh, to Canada, yeah. 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 But my first, like, overseas, you know, long-haul international trip, I went to Australia. It's a nice country. Sydney is very hilly. Sydney is hilly. I did not anticipate that. The reason I posted that is because I hopefully to travel whenever all this COVID stuff is over with. You know, I hope to visit more cities, international cities, like London or Milan was awarded the most accessible city one year in Europe. Hmm. There's another one. I can't remember what else is on that list. But also within the United States, too, out of places I'd like to go visit. The list that I looked at from your feed was the list of U.S. cities, which was almost 200 cities long. I don't know if any of them surprised you, but I got to say, speaking of hilly cities... San Francisco being in the top 10 shocked me. I've been to San Francisco, and if you're in a wheelchair, you need to be He-Man to get around all those hills. <laughs> I think it's based on economy, quality of life, and health care. Mm. So I think they take a lot of those factors. So I know number one was like Scottsdale, Arizona, and like last on the list was somewhere in Connecticut. D.C. falls somewhere in the middle. And I've also researched, like, there are other lists, too, that have the same criteria. And there's always a commonality. One of the commonalities, one city that has, that's common on a list that I see that is always interesting to me is Albuquerque, New Mexico, which wow. is, it, to me, is very, I don't say random, but like, I, I see that on a list all the time. So you say they're top five or top ten. Well, Albuquerque, New Mexico seems random probably to a lot of people because that's where, at least on TV, you go if you're in the witness protection program, you know? <laughs> Shout out to anybody in New Mexico, but I've never been there. So, Yeah, I hope I get to travel a little bit more within the country you know, once all this is over with. <laughs> I've not done a lot of international travel, but as I've gotten older, traveling is just a real pain sometimes. But, of course, it's almost impossible to do now. Once COVID is over, people are just going to be traveling their heads off. Oh, yeah. Being stuck in one place for this long when you are forced to it's just terrible yeah like you said a lot of people just want to drive somewhere see family or just take a cruise somewhere get away from their home for a little while and again we're kind of smack dab in the holiday season right now so it's gotten to the point where a lot of people couldn't see their families to begin with speaking of what you post online you're not really a guy that openly expresses your more political opinions. But I'm going to try to get you to do that a little bit here because you've been listening to the show and you listened to both the shows I had Greg on. 
And one of the things that Greg and I talked about was if you look at movements created based on, for example, racial bias or gender bias, there's not really an equivalent for disabled people. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this, not only are you a disabled person, you're also a person of color. You know, I think throughout my life, I see two ends of the spectrum. I think being disabled, when I say being black, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the systematic racism that you have in this country, you have, you know, people on that end of the spectrum who you don't want to help African-Americans, don't want to help them advance, get to their point, they don't see them as equals. But I feel like being disabled, you get people who go out of their way to help you because you are disabled. And so I feel like with that mentality, I just wonder why can't we treat each other the same, be equal, treat each other with respect. The question I would say in my head is like, if you can treat me with respect and want to help me because I'm disabled, why can't you do the same if you're African-American? I think people have the ability to help each other just for whatever reason, whether it's just systematic racism or what, they just don't want to. That's a really interesting perspective. I think to an extent, the way that you put it, as far as people don't want to give certain assistance to, say, for instance, African-Americans, but they want to give that assistance to people who are disabled. I think it's for the same reason, though. These people don't see us either way as equals. You look especially at someone who's disabled, and a lot of people immediately go to what can this person not do? Right. It must be a little bit different for African-Americans because that feels, and I could be wrong again, but that feels more like, what would I not want this person to do? I see what you're saying. I think it's just the systematic racism that is built into American culture. Disability in America, I think, is a very ableist country. I mean, all of the countries can be that way too, but just ableist and just not seeing us as wanting us to it like they always want to help us they always want to be the ones that are doing it for us instead of letting us do it for ourselves because i'm very big on independence because there's going to be a time where someone's not there and i have to figure out how to do this myself you can easily find the assistance of someone who's disabled but a lot of the time you don't need that assistance so do you think that the offer of assistance becomes too much there are times, especially when you know, like when you don't need it, if someone's just like consistently asking you, knowing that you have it, it can get annoying because you'd rather have a society where they're teaching you how to do something instead of doing it for you all the time. It's not going to do me or America or the world any good if you're doing things for me all the time. Now, that doesn't mean I'm afraid to ask for help. Like I'll ask for help if I need it, but I'd rather you teach me how to do something rather than just doing it for me all the time. Nobody knows what you are or are not capable more than you. Right. I don't just mean you. I mean anybody. Right. Whether you're in a wheelchair or not, regardless of your skin color or whatever. And it really seems like, especially if you see a wheelchair, a lot of people just jump to, okay, I got to help this person. Except if you're Greg and you're around these tall people who won't help. Right. I did hear that story that he asked for help for someone. He was like, no. I was like, okay, well. I, I was dying. <laughs> There's a tennis podcast I listened to one time. Uh-huh. It was from a wheelchair tennis coach. And he's able-bodied. He got into helping wheelchair tennis. And he's been doing it for years. And 
he was telling a story about how there was this guy in a wheelchair getting into his car and he was trying to help him and he didn't realize he was messing up his routine by doing that. So it's a lesson that he learned. If I can find that podcast, I'll send it to you. It was, it was an interesting interview. Absolutely. Was it with Greg I said this? I remember saying on the show, no, I think it was with Alex. I said, not so much now because of COVID. I get a lot of offers to help me get my chair in and out of my car when the hard part's already been done. Right. I just got a car now, too. Because oh, you know I had a lift. Now I have a car. So getting my chair in and out, I had to get used to that because I just started. It was the first time I ever doing it. You saw my silver van, right? Remember my Dodge? Yeah, but I thought that was like that, too, where you would still be in the chair and get in the van that way. Well, I had a lift. Up until last year, my van died on me. I didn't feel like paying for fixing my lift or any part of my car anymore because I remember one time the lift, the motor got damaged somehow and it cost me $900 to fix. All right, I'm done with this. I can't do the lift <laughs> anymore. So I decided to get a car. Yeah. Got a plug-in hybrid. I never considered a hybrid just because I didn't really feel like it would be large enough to transport my chair in a sufficient way for me to get the chair in and out myself. I just put my chair in my passenger seat, put the wheels in the passenger seat. Uh, it's pretty much a hatchback. I wanted to get a plug-in hybrid, which I do have. It's a Hyundai Ionic plug-in hybrid. Okay. It's something we can talk about too, because I was interested in electric cars. I wanted to get an electric one, an all-electric one, but the infrastructure just isn't wheelchair accessible right now. Mm -hmm. You know, for one, there aren't a lot of electric charging stations around, and two, the ones that are there, I may not be able to get to them as easily as I can a gas station. There's also the fact that they're not well-maintenance, so if an electric charging station isn't working, that means I got to put my chair back in my car, try to go to the next one. But with a plug-in hybrid, at least, one, I charge it at home, and two, if I need gas, let's go to the gas station. So hopefully in the next 10 or 15 years, it'll get to the point where the charging stations will be wheelchair accessible. Well, let's hope so. I mean, I would look for the hybrid cars maybe to be a little bit bigger too, but I don't know if that's possible. Hybrids, I mean, you just put in gas and you just get better gas mileage. Yeah. I drive a Honda Fit, which is also a hatchback. I've always gotten good mileage out of that. I drove about 35 miles each way when I was a DJ, which was my last job. The mileage of the Honda Fit was such that every fourth time I would go to work, I would have to fill up. Like I said, when I plug in hybrid, I've driven, technically, I, it, when you fill it up, it says I have like 600 miles gas mileage and like 29 miles of electric only range. So just driving on electric power and saving the gas, I've gotten about 900 miles only on one tank of gas. It only costs like $20, $25 to fill up as opposed to like the 40 it used to take with my van. Oh, yeah. I drove a van for a couple of years because I couldn't really find at the time any other means of transportation that made sense where, again, I could get my chair in and out myself. I didn't mind driving the van. Again, gas was a killer, but right. it wasn't driving the van that I didn't like. I didn't like parking it. There's a place called Freedom Motors. It's in uh, Michigan, I believe. Uh -huh. They're starting to put lifts in different types of vehicles. So now... Instead of just being a van, you can put it in an SUV, which I think is pretty cool. I actually have a power lift gate in the back of my current car. We had to have it installed. And 
my family got that from China, actually. So we didn't know how to install it <laughs> <laughs> because no instructions were in English. It has a mind of its own sometimes. Let's just say that. I'm still not in some ways 100% sure how to use it. But, you know, it, <laughs> I'm getting by. I got a new car almost two years ago. So Is it the Honda Fit? I've had two Honda Fits. One was a... 2009 model next one was 2019 model i think they're discontinuing it actually in america yeah i heard a rumor about it but i found out recently it's true hopefully this one lasts me a while because i don't know what i'm gonna do next <laughs> yeah americans are going uh, suvs so a lot of the american car makers are discontinuing their cars so it's like either suvs or crossovers well again a reason not to go that way before was they were gas guzzlers. And if you, right. can, if you can make the hybrid versions and have that extra room, I can see the appeal. Right. I probably said on this show before that a common theme among people I'm going to have on is going to be sports. And we could probably talk all day about old times and playing basketball together, stuff like that. But you have a different take on sports in a way because you actually went to school in a way for sports and not to play them. It did. So I majored in sport management. Technically the official title of my degree is health, fitness, and recreation resources with a concentration in sport management. It's a mouthful. I know. Yeah. Got that from George Mason university. Go Patriots. I wanted to work in sports. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but sports, my hobby, I enjoyed it. At George Mason, when they went to the Final Four, which was probably the best sports memory ever. In sports, it's a hard field to get into. It's very tough. After I graduated, I worked for the Nationals ticket operations for a couple of seasons. I worked for the Bowie Bay Sox in Bowie, Maryland. I did two stints with them, once for credit and then once as a paid intern. After 2010, it was, just, it was tough to try to find a job in there. A lot of the people that I knew that I graduated with in the sport management program, I know of only one person who actually does sports. Everyone else does something else, including me. What is that person doing now? I believe they are still working for the Knicks in New York. Mm. What did you and want to do with it? I really wanted to be in ticket operations, in the operations side of it. Once I kind of got a feel of what it was to be in a box office, it's something that I like to do. Helping people, being in customer service, helping with their tickets. I was willing to move. I was willing to go anywhere else, but it just wasn't happening. People, my applications weren't being looked at. Plus, it wasn't providing the job security or the income that I wanted. So I figured I just needed to take a different path. And so what did you end up doing? I worked for Fairfax County Public Schools, being a software tester. Then I got into the federal government, which I'm still with the federal government. I did one year in their internship program while getting my master's. 2014, I started working for Homeland Security. Wow. Now, these are things I didn't know. Yes. <laughs> yep, I've been with the federal government for over six years. Oh, wow. So just trying to make it to that 30-year mark so I can retire. I've got 22 You're already started. looking for retirement. You're younger <laughs> than me. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> retirement's kind of the talking around my household right now. So, Your dad? Yes, my dad. He will be retiring next year in next September. I cleared this with you before, but speaking of your dad, there will be probably a number of people listening to this podcast 
that'll probably be a little upset if we don't talk a little bit about your mom. And unfortunately, you lost your mom this year, and I'm so sorry about that. Thank you. I don't know how much we want to talk about this, but I thought I would just share one of my favorite memories of your mom. Okay. This has always been a good story. There was a point, I don't remember what year this was, but we got a new head basketball coach. His name was Andy Burt. Right. And Andy had a wife, Gina, who I think was pregnant when he joined us. And so immediately the thought was, okay, well, we should have some sort of baby shower party for Gina and sort of ostensibly a party also for Andy. And I think the parents decided on that, but I was asked to speak at this thing as kind of an MC role because I wanted to be the broadcaster, right? Right. So so we get to this party and I I agree to do it because what else am I going to do? The problem is I've only known both of these people for a couple of weeks. So what am I going to say? All I did was tell jokes. I don't remember what anything I said, except that I remember the one person that really liked what I did or said was your mother. To the point where she actually asked me a time later, I think it was when you were turning 18 and having a party. She wanted me to tell jokes about you. And I, I was like, you really want me to roast your son? Like, <laughs> that sounds like something she would do. <laughs> I can have a dark sense of humor sometimes. And I even say that in the beginning of this podcast every week. But it just really kind of knocked me out that she appreciated my humor in that way. <laughs> and as far as what I said there, I don't remember a lot of that either. I had known you for a long time, so I probably could have done it, but... In some ways, you were still a kid, so what was I really going to say? You know, <laughs> <laughs> All I remember was when you were really little, you had a sticker of Britney Spears on your chair. I remember that. And I said something about that, but I'm not going to pick on Britney because she's got enough problems now. Yeah. Yeah. That's my story about your mom. I don't know if you have one you wanted to share or just thoughts about her. She found the program, Wheelchair Sports Program, Fairfax Falcons. So she was the one that took me. Before that, I actually worked with Brenda Gilmore. She found that too. I know so Brenda. First, yeah. Right, yeah. So the first sport I did was tennis. And then she found this program with the Fairfax Falcons. So your parents, the first person that loves you unconditionally. My mom is the first person, well, obviously my dad too, but she's the first woman that loves you unconditionally, no matter what your quirks, your feelings, the good times for the bad times. Seeing her with my dad and just them being together, that's what I'll miss. You know, just us being a family, just us being a unit, because we don't have any family up here. It was just us three. So we had to rely on each other. That's one of the things I'll miss about it, but that's the main thing I'll miss about her is just being a part of that unit and just the fact that if I'm single for the rest of my life, at least I know that my mom loved me unconditionally and that she was the one woman that would love me no matter what. You had that kind of family unit that if you secondhand see it, especially consistently like I did, it was impossible not to love all three of you. Yeah, like I said, we just we had to rely on each other. It's not like, you know, some people, they have their grandparents around. They have their aunts and uncles. But my parents aren't originally from the D.C. area. I'm the one that was born and raised here. Because mm-hmm. you know, my... your father was in the military. or They both were, right? Right. right. Yeah. She was in there for three years. 
he was in there for 21. I mean, he was stationed up here, obviously. When my dad retired from the army, they decided to stay up here because my mom already had a job up here. Services were good up here, so we just decided to stay. Again, we had to rely on each other. We're not relying on aunts and uncles and grandparents. Obviously, I went to like the SAC program, daycares, while my parents were at work. But, you know, when push came to shove and I was sick, my mom would stay home with me or my dad would pick me up. My dad would take me to sports, take me to the practices uh, once my mom, you know, give her a little bit of a rest. So family is important to me. It's important to my dad. And so, yeah. Yeah. Man, I've known you so long. I think you are family, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. You are too. <laughs> I just wanted to find a way to say that that didn't sound too weird. But <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good, yeah. And talking about your mom a little bit, one of the things that you actually wanted to speak about was your faith. I think we're going to start it this way because you've listened to the past shows, and that's been brought up a little bit in different ways because both Greg and Alex sort of brought up, and we didn't talk a lot about this because, again, you were the one that specifically wanted to talk about faith. Both of them sort of brought up being blessed and faith healers, that kind of thing, from the perspective of disabled people. And I know that's probably not where you wanted to start talking about this. I wondered at the same time if you had anything to say about that. I know what they're talking about. I was going to talk about that part of it. I don't think I've ever had anyone ever come up to me and do that. If they have, I can't remember. And I don't know if my parents ever had anyone come up to me and do that. I was more talking about like, because I am a Christian. My faith story isn't like one of those Hollywood stories where it's like, I'm disabled and I felt down on my luck and then I came to Jesus because of my disability. Because I don't think my faith is related to my disability, honestly. I jokingly say that my mom dragged me to church. She was exploring her faith and it's like, well, I'm just going to drag Stanley along. <laughs> so we started going to church when I was around, I want to say 12. And it took a year and just really listening to the sermons from Lon Solomon at McLean Bible Church. That's where I first went to church. Hearing that, knowing that Christ is the one that can save you. There's nothing on this earth that I feel can save you, whether it's yoga, television, sports, movies, whatever. I feel like it's Christ is the one that saves us from our sins. So that's when I became a Christian. And as the years have gone on, it's gone more of, I don't want to go to hell to God wants to have a personal relationship with me. It's always going to be evolving. Disability-wise, there is sometimes among the global church as a whole misconception about disability where it's about asking God to heal you. And for some people that probably will happen who are disabled. We talked on your last programs about those who could walk then were then became disabled and were looking for ways to walk again. Yeah. If we've been disabled for a long time since birth, we feel that we're fine and perfectly the way we are. And I do feel like sometimes in Christian circles, they're trying to find ways to make us like them or make us to heal us. And that's not what it's about. I'm the way I am. I'm disabled and I'm not going to walk and I wouldn't have any desire to walk. Now I'm 33 years old. I'm way past that. For any Christian that's listening, if you see a disabled person, don't think that they want to walk. Approach them the way that you would approach them. Like, like talk about Christ the way you would talk about Christ any other way you would with an able-bodied person. You know, to share the gospel, to plant the seed and then see if it'll, and 
hopefully pray that it'll grow. I remember watching this video and I can send it to you if I can find it again. And it was about, it was in Britain, people who were disabled who were talking about why they don't go to church anymore. And I think that they felt that the church, it was either trying to heal them or just trying to make them like them in terms of like, see if they would walk again. And I feel like I can't speak this from experience and I'm kind of more of a hypothesis. Like, I feel like there might be people who are disabled who don't go to church who may not believe in God because people are praying for them for the wrong reasons, trying to make them like them, trying to make them able-bodied. And that might discourage people from becoming, discourage disabled people from becoming Christians. I didn't have that experience. The seed was planted for me to be a Christian because I heard the gospel over and over again. And that's why I say that my disability is separate from my faith because it had nothing to do with like, it wasn't like me being disabled, feeling hopeless. I came to Christ because I heard the gospel, but I can see why there are some disabled people who may have had a negative experience with church and they're just like, I don't want any part of this. It's interesting to me that you've separated your faith from your disability. A lot of other people haven't. So either they're wanting a savior from their disability or maybe cursing someone for their disability. And then again, you have these healers that I don't know why people would ever believe in them because it doesn't seem to me like that's what any sort of faith or religion is about. If anything, you should just be accepted as you are, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Some people, I think, worry about maybe being able to walk more if they were able to do it once and then suddenly can't anymore. Right. I think those might be the ones that turn to faith as far as connecting it to their disability. They might. I mean, you have people who used to walk and they may look to God, they may look to Christ or any other religion to get them to walk again. And sometimes it works, but again, that depends on how they became disabled and what actually right. happened to them. I've always looked at my disability as it is what it is. I can't change it. Growing up, like you would always get the questions like, why are you in a wheelchair? Sure. Or you would get the comments. Like I remember Greg was talking about the comments that he would get and I would get them too. I use my disability as a way to kind of weed out the people that I would want to be friends with. Cause it, it, it does like I, cause I would get sick of people just focusing on my disability. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that you would find people like that. I, my best friend whom I've known for 20 years, he's never asked me like why I was in a wheelchair. He's never, he like, he doesn't care. He understands that it's a part of my life. He doesn't care that I'm in a wheelchair in the sense that like he wants to know or is curious. One of my best friends I've known since the summer before second grade, we met at a summer camp and he happened to be coming to my school that September and I didn't know it until he showed up. And later I found out when we were in the camp together, I don't remember exactly what he said he was thinking, but it was something along the lines of him thinking, I don't want to be in the same group as this wheelchair guy. Later, when we were in high school, I asked him, how long did you feel that way? He goes, about a week. <laughs> I feel like once people get to know us, it really becomes like an afterthought. It's not even a issue. And I would say one of the main reasons why I enjoyed sports so much because 
I won't say that I was insecure. I wasn't insecure, but well, I probably was as a kid, a little insecure about my disability. But when I came to realize, like being in middle school and high school, what I enjoyed about sports is that if I talk about sports, they're not focusing on my disability. And then I'm just one of the guys. Right. And it doesn't matter. That's definitely what you became. You were on that team forever. <laughs> yeah. From six to when I graduated, 18. I was going to say, you started so young that you were a staple on that team for, well, maybe not longer than anybody now, but certainly when I was with them. I'm going to say it started with like five or six and going all the way up to 18. I got to travel. I got to see meet people from different states, sometimes different countries, uh, going to nationals twice. I enjoyed my time with the Falcons. I enjoyed getting to know people, playing basketball, doing track, tennis. I'll probably say it on many shows. Sports are going to be a big fixture on this show just because I know so many people that played them. Right. And we don't necessarily have to talk about that right now. We can do that next time you come on if if you want to come back, which I hope you do. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm going to keep doing this show whether people like it or not. But I know you like it, so that's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think you hear about, like, you don't have disabled podcasts about, you know, disability or it's more from the medical side. It's not so much about from the lifestyle side. That's what I'm saying. The fact that it's from more the medical side makes it very straight laced. Just the facts. No humor intended. When I came up with the idea for this podcast, I was like, okay, I'm going to turn that on its ear make this as entertaining as it possibly can be. And I know the people that can help me with that. So, you know, here we are. Five weeks in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as whatever I can do to help. I Hopefully this, uh, I'm hoping I can try to make it as entertaining as possible because, I mean, there's always topics. Cause, I mean, why was the topic I was thinking about today is like when I got a new wheelchair last year, I was thinking about how, the market for wheelchairs hasn't really changed much. It's the same wheelchair, at least the ones that insurance will pay for, uh, the same right. type of wheelchairs that like from Tylite and from Quickie and they're good chairs, but the chairs that I see that I was able to choose from last year are the same ones I saw five years ago. The selection for wheelchairs has not changed very much, but the process in getting one has changed a lot. I got a new wheelchair during quarantine. I think I got it in May. And the thing is, I ordered it in October before COVID started. But for the first time, I had to go through a physical therapist in order to get a wheelchair. I went up to uh, Johns Hopkins because I did a seating clinic. Oh, okay. uh, Because I wanted to make sure I was getting the right size. So the last year I had it was, I think it was too big. So I just wanted to go to a seating clinic to make sure everything was measured correctly. And then I work with New Motion as a vendor. Prior to my getting the chair that I'm sitting in now, all that needed to be done was I get a note from a doctor that says I need a new wheelchair, a prescription, basically. Right. I would take it to this guy that I knew, and a lot of other people used him too, but he's not in the business anymore. Once he got out of the business... I don't know if this would have changed anyway, but that was the reason that I had to start going through a physical therapist. 
I think I did hear that, that that part of it had changed. I think if you go to a seating clinic, then there's a physical therapist there and they do all the measurements and do all the stuff that they need to do to submit it to mm-hmm. insurance. When I was researching chairs last year, I mean, there are so many other, well, there are a lot of overseas chair companies that I wish were more over. I wish there was more competition because I feel like the options are either it's either Sunrise Medical with the quickie chairs, Motion Composites, or Tylite. The thing about the overseas wheelchairs is if they break or if anything goes wrong with them, it's a real problem to get replacement parts. That's what I'm saying. I wish they would like, they have operations over here in the U.S. where right. they would start selling them. Like I asked, there's one company that makes chairs, RGK, which is actually under Sunrise Medical. They just don't sell them. In the United States, they sell them in Canada. Hmm. Like they have chairs that I'm like, oh, these would be really cool over here. There's also another one that Sunrise Medical makes called the Quickie Krypton, which is carbon fiber. They sell it in the UK. I don't know if they have it in Canada yet. They won't bring it over here. There's another one, Panthera, P A N T H E R A. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're Swedish, I think. No. They do sell them here, but it's a complicated process. They don't go through the normal channels of selling their wheelchairs. More like they're, I guess, independent contractors. Black market wheelchairs. (laughs) (laughs) They're legit. What's nice about their chairs is that they're really light. I think the frame only weighs five pounds. Whoa. It's light. I went to go get the hand controls for my car. Someone had one and I lifted it. I'm like, man, it's light. It's very light. But it breaks easily because he had like duct tape Mm. over all of it. And I was like, eh. It's expensive, though. I think it's starting price for it is $10,000. I guess depending on what your insurance is, they may or may not pay for it, but you have to do the paperwork yourself. This is what we have to go through every few years. It used to be that I could get a new wheelchair every three years through insurance. Sometimes I would try to get one immediately after that three-year period. Sometimes I would wait a fourth year. Now that these things have changed and I have to go through... Like I said, a physical therapist and do certain other things differently. That three years has actually changed to five years. Right. I remember that. I, like I said, I just wish there was a little bit more competition. There's one, another company in Vegas that actually makes chairs. They make their chairs out of magnesium. They look really nice. They look really cool. But again, it's one of those things where they're only located in Vegas and they don't go through any dealers so, so they stay in Vegas and that's it. Yep. Yeah. That's it. So literally what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Stays in okay. Vegas. Yeah, okay. I just hope at some point there's a little bit more competition. It was RGK I asked mm-hmm. why they don't bring their chairs over here. And they say the FDA process is just so complicated. They don't want to go through that process. Well, the FDA needs to lighten up because we need more options. Yeah, hopefully that comes to fruition. Hopefully this podcast will make it bring to fruition. Well, we're trying to get a lot of things done. And if you listen to the previous shows, you know that Greg and I teased that I was psychic at some point. <laughs> yeah. And you should end your show with like a prediction, like this will happen and we'll see if it comes up. <laughs> I'll work on that. Okay. <laughs> That's something to think about. Yeah. There have been shows so far where I have not done this at the end. You'd be the first one to answer this question at the end, where since we're called We're the Inspiration, I want to get stories about at least the people who are disabled 
being called inspirations by other people, whether that's a funny story or not? I think you asked Greg this question, also Alex. I didn't even have to ask Alex because he gave an answer to that question without me asking. So <laughs> right. It's a very overused term when it comes to disability. And I know you know that. And when you say Michael Phelps or Tatiana McFadden or Steve Serio, who plays wheelchair basketball, mm-hmm. or Sarah Fuller, the kicker at Vanderbilt, who was the first woman to kick in a Power Five conference football game. When you say they're an inspiration, that should make you want to do something. You know, Tatiana McFadden, if you're inspired by her, it should make you want to do track or at the very least work out. Same with Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has inspired so many people to want to swim. If you don't know Tatiana McFadden, obviously you're not really in the wheelchair sports realm. Tatiana McFadden is a Paralympian in track and field. Right. Now that I've interrupted you, (laughs) (laughs) I guess you don't have a story like this, but I I think there are people that are inspired by people that have done great things, which is fine. And I'm not saying we haven't done great things as a whole being people who are disabled. Obviously, there are those people that are inspired or just say they're inspired by meeting someone disabled after four seconds, and that person is not a complete idiot. Right, exactly. And that's where I was going. It was like, if you call someone disabled inspiring just for waking up in the morning right, or going to school or going to work, I joke, like, that's not inspiring. You're just lazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm being honest. It's like, I'm not inspiring. You're just lazy. Yeah. When I went to school, I would go to school or go to work because I have to make a living because I'm a human being. That's what we're supposed to do. See, I'm laughing because my thoughts about it are a little less G-rated than yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to print up t-shirts to say, "I." well, Charles Barkley, he had that commercial, I am not a role model. And I've always wanted to print up shirts like, I am not your inspiration. That's how I've always felt about it. It's like, it's not so much about being an inspiration is, should make you want to do something. Me going to school or going to work is not inspiring. You're just lazy. And then I, sometimes I would hear stories about, you know, my, or they would tell me about who their friend who's disabled, who doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then you should encourage them to do something. Like, I don't get to where I'm at without encouragement. I have my parents, I have friends who are, want to see me do well. If you're just watching your friend who's disabled not do anything, then encourage them if they can. I was so excited about talking to my friend Stan that I didn't tell him how loud his end was, but that's on me. I think he made some good points, though. Namely, there are some people that are able to separate their disabilities from the rest of their lives. And I know that's kind of ironic saying it on a podcast I created about disabilities, but we're just going to move on. I want to thank Stan for being on the show, and thank you for listening. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join our Discord server. Links to those are going to be on the SoundCloud page when I put the show up. Until next week, this is Nate Lurie reminding you, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.